at the midnight cry. Oh. How many of you were singing along as she played that? Oh, my. Price of admission today, eh? Now, this, this joke today is for Dwight. <clears throat> he, he made mention something last uh, Sunday night in our Bible study, and I said, oh, that reminds me of the joke I got to tell Sunday. So uh, I pulled it out of my uh, file, and it goes like this. A man and his ever-nagging wife went to Jerusalem for a vacation. While they were there, the wife passed away. The undertaker told the husband, we can have a wonderful burial for her here in the Holy Lands for $150, or we can ship her back to the United States for 5000 The husband thought for a little bit and told the undertaker, I'm going to have her shipped back home to the United States. The undertaker says, why would you spend that kind of money, $5,000, to have her shipped back to the United States when you can have a wonderful burial here for $150? The husband replied, Long ago, a man died here and was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. I'm sure glad some of you ladies are laughing. Now, I, I do want to remember, uh, remind you that I do ask for people to send me jokes, and this was given to me by one of our church members, and it happened to be a woman on top of that. So, uh, But anyhow, when we were talking about being raised from the dead last week uh, in our Bible study on Sunday night, I, I said, oh, that one i got to tell. So, Well, we are in Philippians chapter 4, one more study after today, and then we go into some prayers and... Uh, as I mentioned a couple, three weeks ago, the Lord really convicted me about spending time on talking about prayer, being in prayer. If you noticed uh, in uh, the news uh, foundation today on the 24th, I've called for a half day of prayer. It'll be in your uh, letter that comes out. I don't think you've gotten those yet. But um, I'm emphasizing for the rest of the year and into next year uh, prayers from the scripture and uh, we just need to be uh, men and women of prayer. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 10, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, and at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Do we not live in a world that is in search of an elusive dream? People everywhere we turn are searching to find some kind of fulfillment and contentment in life. Benjamin Franklin made a statement. He said, contentment 
makes a poor man rich. Being discontented makes a rich man poor. Contentment's not easy to find. Sometimes we just think it's out there somewhere, and I might happen to fall over it someday. We we look for contentment in the accumulation of stuff, especially in in our world. We look for it in, in maybe another person that we come across. Contentment is the desire... Of everyone's heart. Is that not correct? Paul really tells us the secret of being content. In fact, those are his words. The secret of being content. And I'm going to just tell it to you quickly here. So if you want to take a nap, you can take a nap. And, uh, and, and while I give off the rest of the message. But it is found in being rightly related to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Putting your trust in Jesus Christ in every and any situation. Having the faith that He is in control of your life, that God is sovereign. And that He is working His plan and His will in your life through whatever circumstance you find yourself in. When we grasp that truth, we can have contentment in our lives. Because it brings contentment to us. Bill just read uh, out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, part of verse 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. He wraps it all up in those words. Scores of people in this world, and including many Christians, are seeking contentment in all the wrong places. Always searching, always looking for something that they just can't seem to grasp. Always unhappy about life. And way too many of those people will try to make you unhappy and gloomy along with them. Contentment is not found in money. It's not found in wealth of any sort. It's not found in possessions that you have or the stuff you have. It's not found in the fact that you have power in in your job or that you have some kind of privilege in life. It's not found in the pleasures that God allows us to have. It's not found in the fact that you no longer are battling problems or illnesses. Contentment does not happen that way. There's a story I heard about a young man who, after his sophomore year at Stanford University... He was in pre-med, and and his parents rewarded him with a summer vacation to the Far East between his sophomore and junior year. While he was there, he met a guru, a Hindu guru, and started talking to him and says, Don't you see how poison your soul has become in your success-orientated life? The idea of happiness is to, to you is to stay up all night studying for an exam to get a better grade than anyone else. Your idea of a good marriage is not marrying your best friend, but to have a good marriage, you've got to have a woman who everybody else wants. I want to challenge you to give up all of this and join our commune where we all share alike and all love each other. Well, this young man had studied hard in a competitive high school to get into Stanford and 
finished two years of pre-med at the university and and he, he was ripe for this kind of message. And so he called his parents while he was in Tokyo and told them, I'm not coming home. I'm dropping out and joining this ashram. Well, six months passed by and he sent a letter to his parents. Dear mom and dad, I know you were unhappy with me in the decision I made last summer. But I want to tell you how happy I am inside of me. For the first time in life, I'm at peace. There is no competing, no hustling, no trying to get ahead of anyone else. We're all equal here and we all share alike. This way of life is so harmonious and inner peace that within the six months I've been here, I've become the number two disciple. And I think I can be number one by the end of June. (laughs) Contentment. Contentment really is related to joy. Our book that we are looking at is a book of joy. Uh, and you can talk about that as a, an inward peace that an individual can have, uh, the grace that God gives them. Again, it all comes about the fact that an individual has submitted their lives to Jesus Christ. When we find our delight in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, when our focus in life is Him, We can handle any situation that he allows to come into our life. You see, this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, and I'm going to assume most of you do, not necessarily all of you because we've got a good-sized crowd this morning, but you, if you know Christ as Savior, you have the key to contentment. The writer of Hebrews writes these words, chapter 3, verse 5, Keep your eyes Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. When your eyes are focused upon the Lord and have that relationship with God through Christ, nothing this world offers compares. Now the opposite of contentment is to be a desire for wanting and more and uh, and complaining. But when we grasp the truth and understand that God has a plan for our life and that he is working in our life, bringing purpose to our life, we should have a spirit of gratefulness within us. Our text we read here this morning will show us how you and I can obtain contentment. Well, we first of all have to understand that we have to live by God's provisions. If you notice, Paul, at the beginning here, thanks the church for a gift they had sent to him, most likely money. Uh, Next week, that's where we're going to go, so uh, uh, we won't go into too much of that. But but you see, Paul was under arrest. He was in jail. He was under house arrest. He'd been there for about two years when he wrote this letter. Uh, And he needed support. He needed help from others. Usually, if you know his life, that when he was out uh, doing his missionary journeys, he would make tents to sell and and make a living that way. And and so when others could not contribute to him, Paul was able to to make a living. But now in in prison, in jail, uh, he couldn't do that. And so here he wanted, he's thanking them for their support. And if you notice, he is saying, this money that you're sending me, as much as I appreciate it, is not my main focus, and I'm not particularly interested in the the money that you have sent. 
In other words, Paul wasn't a TV preacher out there hawking his goods. He wasn't out there selling um, miracle water or, or, or handkerchiefs that were anointed. He was not in it for the money. He was appreciative of the money that came, but that, his motive was not uh, any of this, give me money. None of this, as you recall, happened many years back. God's going to strike me dead if I don't raise $10 million in the next month. I said to myself then, and every time I think about it, I don't know why God didn't strike him dead for making that statement. None of that junk was on Paul's mind. Paul was depending on the Lord and the Lord taking care of the circumstances so that he would have what he absolutely needed. You remember Elijah? 1 Kings chapter 17. The ravens brought food to him to survive. A dirty, nasty bird, but God used a bird to bring that gentleman, that prophet, what he needed to survive. God was intervening in his life. God was in control of his life. God was allowing that those ravens to bring into his life what he needed. Do, do you understand as God is intervening in your life? That God's in control? If you're, do you understand that? Do you always see God intervening in your life? No. Sometimes it takes a long time when we look back at what has gone on that we can even start appreciating what God has done. And, and the older I get and the greater view I have of God, the more I realize He has been wonderfully gracious to me as a person. Most of the time, we don't see what God's doing in our life. But God's at work. He is always in the background, working His plan for my life and for your life to be exactly what he wants it to be. It's called God's providence. We live in a world where a lot of people like to emphasize miracles. A miracle is God taking uh, something that's outside the norm, contrary to normal events, and he's doing his hand in it, and, and I don't deny miracles. But God's providential hand is working behind the scenes even when we don't see it. Even when he uses the norm, when he doesn't interrupt the normal events of life. All that time, God is weaving and working and placing people in your lives. Ever, ever look back in your life and say, I met so-and-so at a certain time in life, and, and they had a tremendous impact on my life, and at that meeting or the meeting of that person changed my life? God's always working in circumstances. Quite honestly... It's as important as a supernatural event. The ordinary things he does in our life. Do you realize that a doctor who prescribes a certain medication or a treatment for a problem that you and I would have, and we do have them, is God working just as much as if he were to heal us instantly? Bringing a, a job or employment to us when we're struggling is as much an act of God in our life as if he were to send, have somebody send us a check in the mail. That, that's God working. That's God providing for us. And we have to understand that God is providing for our needs in our life. The parting of the Red Sea was a marvelous, great miracle. I don't know about you, but every time I think about it, I got a picture in my head how how it worked. I have no, you know, that's just there. 
Doesn't mean it came anywhere close to what God did. That was a great work of God, a great miracle. But you know, that was no different in the area of supernatural of God providing than the life of Joseph. Joseph, literally kidnapped by his brothers when he was 18 years old, sold into slavery. He was sent to prison. He was in prison and told a cupbearer to remember him when he went back into employment. Of course, the cupbearer forgot all about it until at the right time, he had the ability to interpret dreams. And God then put him in a position of number two in all of Egypt when tragedy struck. All of it, God working. Yeah, the Red Sea was great and wonderful and, and I do not mean to downplay it, but God's providential hand in Joseph's life, leading him through one circumstance after another, was just as wonderful and an act of God. And I always love the way Joseph ended that up when he said to his brothers, God meant it for good. Because God's hand was in it. God was at work. I remember when Hurricane Katrina happened, it's, Seemed like yesterday, but 11 years ago, there was a disaster relief team that was cooking food and running out of food. And they weren't sure when they were going to get any more food that they could serve. And a grocery store owner came to that team and he said, I have two trucks sitting at my docks, no electricity in my store to put the food. The fuel for those trucks is going to be running out soon. Could you use the food? God's hand is in it. We don't know where or why or how he's going to work, but God is at work in our life. And you can go down to verse 19 here in our text, and it says, My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God's going to take care of our needs. He will meet our needs. Well, we also need to understand that we need to live in God's circumstances. If you're going to be content, we're going to have to live in the circumstances that God has given us. Bill emphasized Paul's statement, I have learned. That implies it took work. It implies there were some things that he had to go through. It didn't just happen automatically. Contentment doesn't come naturally to any of us. It doesn't come because we're born. It's a process that we learn and understand. When Paul says, I have learned to be content, verse 11, or I have learned the secret of to be content in verse 12, he is saying that, that the satisfaction of our life and of our situation comes because Jesus Christ is placed first. So even circumstances that we don't like, God can and will use. He's not implying that we should just accept everything and be satisfied with less. In fact, we can go back chapter 3, many places in this text, uh, in this book. But Paul, chapter 3, verse 12 and 13 says, Not that I have already obtained this all of this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, 
But this one thing, forgetting what is behind and straining forward, I press on. Paul was saying, I want to do my best for the Lord. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So he's not saying here, when we're talking about being content, is to have an I don't care attitude. He's not talking about that. He's not saying, well, live and let live and doesn't matter what happens. That's not where he's at. What he's saying is be content with the possessions that God has given you. You see, we always have to keep asking the question, is my house big enough? Do I really need a bigger house? Do I really need a, a, a new car? Now, we all need houses. We all need vehicles. That poor guy over here, he blew his up the other day. Uh, but uh, that's the nature of his business. But we all need vehicles. But what kind do I need? What will meet my needs? Contentment comes on the inside because we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, whether I have plenty or in want, whether I'm well fed or I'm hungry, I'm going to be content because I have a relationship with Jesus and he's in control. Back on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 32, your heavenly father knows that you have your needs. When he was talking about food and clothing, our God knows what we need. Jesus is in control of our circumstances and we need to be content. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Our eyes be on Jesus, on heavenly things, not upon this earth. Our focus is to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do, we find contentment. All our circumstances, even the unfavorable circumstances, God is at work in our lives and we can be content with them. Well, the last thing that Paul talks about here is to be content because God's power, God's favor is upon us. We have to understand that Jesus Christ is sufficient for all we truly need. You and I are able to, to face every physical circumstances and win and grow in those circumstances when we stand in the power and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I can do everything. I can do all things. And Paul was qualified to make such a statement. Do you know all the things that Paul went through in his life? Well, he makes a statement over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he says these things. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the ocean. I have been Constantly on the move, I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled, have been often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold 
and naked. And I'll stop there. Paul was saying, I've been through it all. So he can say, whatever situation I'm in, I can be content. He lived it. So he can make these statements. What is he saying to us? He's saying that you and I, as Christians, can face any situation that comes to us in this life with confidence and be content. Because the Lord Jesus Christ will give us the power. He is sufficient to face it. With him, we can go through it. With him, we can have victory over it. You can face and confront anything that comes to us. The most difficult problems that we face. Jesus Christ is sufficient for us. He's there giving us grace and strength. Have you noticed anywhere in this text the words I can't occur? No. There's no indication of inability to overcome any kind of obstacle that is placed in front of us in our spiritual walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no place for I can't. There's no place to say I can't speak for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no place to say I I can't live for Christ. There's no place for us to say I can't witness. There's no place for us to say I can't live holy. Uh, There's no place for that. There's no place to say I can't, I can't. There's no place to say I can't have victory over sin. No, none of that. You see, with Christ in control, literally I can't is not in our vocabulary. Verse 13, he says, through him, through Christ. We can go through these things. We can go through all these circumstances. And we can find the strength. And we can have the ability. That means you and I can be content. Now, when we say, I can do all things, we have to uh, understand. He's talking about spiritual things. He's not talking about necessarily physical things. There's no way I'm going to run the 100-yard dash in the Olympics that come in four years. There's no way. I mean, not going to happen type thing. I heard about this boy who had broken his arm, and when he went to the doctor to have the cast off, he says, well, Doc, can I now play the piano? And he says, you sure can. And the boy says, well, that's great. I've always wanted to know how to play the piano. Uh, It's not talking about that. When he's talking about I can do all things, he's saying I can have victory, I have contentment, I can have joy and peace in my life through anything that the Lord leads me through because he is in control of my life. I can be content. And contentment that's come to us when we have our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when we realize that he has the strength to give us victory. You see, God's grace enables us as Christians to go through any situation and be content. Because we understand he's directing those circumstances and those situations. He is leading. He is doing his work. He is working his plan. Do I always see it? Absolutely not. Do I see it most of the time? No, I don't. Looking back, yes, I see some, but I know I don't recognize them all. God is giving us the power and the ability to be content because the secret of being content is having a relationship with Christ, knowing he's in control of our life and in control of our situations, and we focus on what is important, him. Now, here's my question. Are you content this morning? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't find contentment. And many people who have a relationship with Christ are not content because they're always looking for something 
outside to fulfill them and make them happy. But contentment comes. The secret of contentment comes, as Paul said, in knowing Christ and having a vital relationship with him. I trust that's where you're at this morning. Uh, as I said, you're all home folks. You, if you're not a member, you come regularly. Um, I trust you all have a relationship with Christ. But if you're finding yourself really struggling to find contentment in life, grab hold of Jesus Christ and understand he is in control of your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these few minutes we've had together today. I thank you that Paul stands here, uh, uh, writes here, as, and as we communicate it to this church family, that our contentment in life comes because we have a relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, if there's someone here that does not know Christ as Savior, touch their heart this morning and speak to them. And, and Father, brother or sister who is struggling, trying to find something more than Christ, Encourage them right now. In the name of Christ, we do pray. Amen. Invitation hymn of 478. Shall we stand? kind attention this morning i don't know why we got through that quickly it makes up for a couple weeks ago and we were out late so <laughs> next week we'll be right on time uh, thank you for being here today um, ice cream social tonight seven o'clock um, who did you volunteer to eat for you ken um, uh, yeah Come, come back tonight. Uh, if you're here for Bible study, fine. And, and then... Hmm? Six o'clock for the Bible study. Six o'clock for Bible study. Different time and then seven for Ice Cream Social. Uh, come, come and enjoy tonight a bit. Lord, we once again say thank you. We praise you. We honor you. 
Thank you for our time together today. Encourage us in our walk with you. Um, Many of our church family are uh, struggling with illness and issues. We just ask you to be very close and near to them. Uh, Lift them up, encourage them uh, to lean on you, and we say thank you in Christ's name. Amen.